All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. How are you? Good? You sounded good, looking good, smelling good, I guess. Everything going good? Good to have you. Hey, I want to say, first of all, how good it is to have Pastor Eddie Hoagland on our team. Eddie, we're so glad you're part of New Life. Pastor Eddie and his wife, Christina, and their three littles, got three tinies, uh, moved here from the Chicago, suburban Chicago area a few months ago. He leads our young college young adults ministry, and that's, that relaunches again June the 8th. So all of you that you have college kids coming back home this summer, and they're spending way too much time at your house, on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, bring them here. Tell them to drive here. They're old enough to drive themselves. If you're a college in 20-something and you're looking to be discipled and built into community, you want to be a part of a group of young people who have unapologetically decided to follow Jesus. That's what this group's about. And it's a lot of fun. So Tuesday night, starting June the 8th, Pastor Eddie, we're so glad you're here. Welcome again. Also, yes, one more round of applause for Pastor Eddie. <laughs> Look on your seat right now and you see the little, the little placard here with purple and pink and orange on the back. That on June the 12th, on Saturday, June the 12th, we have the EXO Marriage Conference will be here and it's extremely expensive. It's absolutely free, okay? I want you to come and I want you to be a part. Every marriage in this room, every marriage listening and watching online, we all need marriage tune-ups. Pam and I have been married 31 and a half years, and we'll be here. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the speakers. But there's a world-class group of speakers that are coming, and they're experts on marriage. So this is not just, uh, you know, just not a thrown-together kind of conference. This is a world-class marriage conference on a Saturday, and it's free. So there's no excuses. So right now, start working on childcare. So there's no childcare here at the church, so make sure somebody can stay at the house with your kids or duct tape them in a closet or something. Just figure it out, all right? But get here and be a part. So if you're married, you want to be married, if you know someone who's married, this conference is for you, okay, on June the 12th. So put that on your calendar. All right, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We're in a, this is the last of these series that we're talking through the Lord's Prayer. And it comes really in an epic conclusion. We're going to talk about, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory how this prayer wraps up according to the text we've been reading. And this is a powerful reminder of how prayer should burst forth out of us. How prayer, even when we feel feeble, even when we feel weak, prayer has the power and authority to burst out of believers and to change the world around us. Can we just pray that? Can we just pray before we talk about prayer today? Let's just pray. Let's ask these words to speak to us today. Father, we are grateful for the continuously articulate scriptures. We thank you that the word of God is inspired and breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, written by man, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we need the work of the Spirit to understand these words. Lord, we are not trying to discern these words in our own strength, but we ask now for the help of the Holy Spirit, the guide of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of the Holy Spirit, the ears of the Holy Spirit, as we tackle this text. So Lord, do something in us. Shape us, form us, challenge us, change us in every way possible. And if you want all that, say amen. Amen? All right, let's read this. Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Let's pray this out loud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now say this really loud. This is the way I, my voice tends to rise when I get to this part, all right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now leave that up just for a moment. Notice these three words, kingdom, power, and glory. This is how this prayer wraps up. And it's supposed, you, your, your voice should be lifting when you get to this part of the prayer. It should, something should be bursting out of you when you get to this part of the prayer. Now the problem is, if you're a Bible scholar, Bible teacher, you know that this last phrase is not often found in some translations. And there's been a lot of debate over the years about whether or not this was found in the original text. And I'll just say it was not. But around the second century, this phrase started showing up in the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of people believe that the early writers of the scripture, when they would get to the end of the prayer, they wanted a benediction. They wanted something to come alive. And many people believe that they borrowed the words from the prayer of King David out of 1 Chronicles 29. So in 1 Chronicles 29, King David is in front of the church. He's in the temple. He's in front of a lot of people. And he begins to pray to a God that he knows well. David was a man after God's own heart. David had a personal relationship with God, and you can tell by the way he describes God in this prayer. And this prayer so moved the Jewish people of the day that I believe the early writers said, we want to add a benediction that accurately describes the nature of God to the end of this prayer. So because it was lifted from Scripture and added to Scripture, I'm okay with quoting it as Scripture, okay, is that all right? If you, if you don't, then Pastor Eddie will be happy to talk to you right after the service, all right? <laughs> Let's read this prayer together. First Chronicles 29, it says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Listen to how he prayed. Now, stop here for a moment. I listen to how people pray. Not that you have to be polished, not that you have to be perfect, but it has to be personal. Notice how personal this prayer is from David. He says, praise be to you. O oh Lord, God of our Father Israel. Notice how the Lord's Prayer starts off with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This prayer also begins in a similar way. Praise be to you, O oh Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. And he says, yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Many people believe that the writers of the Lord's Prayer took this particular prayer and added it to the ends of the Lord's Prayer to give it a proper benediction. And I'm okay with that. I love the way David prayed. He prayed out of a personal relationship. Now, Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to actually take today the message version of the Bible. Let me tell you why. Eugene Peterson, who I spent a little bit of time with before he passed away a few years ago, he wrote the message version of the Bible. He translated it. And a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people are critical of the way he translated the scriptures because he seems like he oversimplified it. But there was a reason for that. When he was a pastor in suburban Baltimore, he started having a lot of street people get saved, a lot of drug addicts, 
people coming out of prostitution, people that had no historical background with the Bible, started coming to his church. And he was trying to disciple these people who were brand new believers. And what he discovered was that a lot of the language in the King James, the New King James, some of those traditional texts, the language was tripping up these new believers. They couldn't understand it. It was not the language of the streets. It was not the language of their homes. And so Eugene Peterson, who was a biblical scholar, took these passages of Scripture and used common language to disciple people who were brand new to the faith. And because of that, because of his motivation for doing that, I often find myself reading the message version of the Bible just because I like the simplicity of it. I, like the, it's a, it's a, I read several different versions of the Bible. I read the New King James, I read the NIV, I read the ESV, but also find myself in my devotional time reading the message. And I love the simplicity of the language that he uses here. Listen to this, Matthew 6, verse 13, from the message version of the Bible. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. So we're going to take those three texts today, and I want you to, next time you're reading through the Lord's Prayer, when you come to this epic conclusion, I hope you remember these three things. The first thing he says is you're in charge. That is a beautiful reminder. Prayer reminds us that we're not the one in charge of our lives, not us. And this is actually the moment of salvation. This is how you can tell if you've had an authentic, life-changing salvation experience. This is how you know if you've really been born again, if your life really belongs to God, is when God has taken control of your life. And prayer reminds us of that. Prayer reminds us I'm not in charge. Prayer reminds us that we must surrender control. <laughs> Now this is why people ask me when I pray. So I have a time in the morning where I usually get up early. I'm usually the first one up at my home. I'm usually the first one here at the office and I have that time set aside on my calendar, study and prayer, because I don't want anything interrupting that. And so that's a time where I'm focused on prayer, but I find myself all during the day praying. Throughout the day, I'm finding myself in these hidden conversations. Sometimes it's just internal, sometimes it's out loud, but I'm finding myself in prayer and I discovered this about myself a long time ago. The reason God calls me to constant prayer is because I'm constantly trying to take control. And the more, the more control you need in your life, the more you need to pray. In fact, the reason most people lead a prayerless life is because they have an insane need to be in control. In prayer, you don't have that option. Prayer requires, prayer demands, that you relinquish control. This week, Pam and I had this funny moment. I had a minor medical procedure this week that required someone to drive me home from the clinic. So Pam, who's been my 31 and a half years best friend, she volunteered, she's driving me, and we're on the freeway, it's rush hour, I'm in the passenger seat. Now I don't know about you, but I, in that moment, all the guys in the room know this, there are times I need to be in control. It's not that Pam is a, 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 she's a great driver. She's a super safe driver. It's just that I'm not in control. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm not saying anything. But because she's been married to me for 31 and a half years, in the middle of changing lanes, as you can feel the tension, you can feel my muscles clench. My hands are, are literally squeezing plastic into 
dust. I'm just, ah! Pam looks over at me and goes, I know this is hard for you. <laughs> I know you need to be in control. Yes, take a deep breath. It was actually more traumatic than the actual medical thing that I went through. <laughs> and see, this is common for us. We're always trying to negotiate with God. We're, con we're in a constant state of negotiation with God. And, and the early disciples were no better than us, if you want to feel better about yourself. The disciples also wondered why Jesus was not cooperating with their plan. Now you think about this. The day of Pentecost is the day Jesus ascended into heaven in front of him, ascension. And, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into, and later in Acts chapter 2, that's the day of Pentecost. But before the day of Pentecost came, Jesus ascends into heaven, right? And he promises them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So you, you've got to know that Jesus is standing outside the city gates of Jerusalem and he's got a few minutes left in person with his disciples. Of all the things they could have asked, listen to what they asked. He says, this is Acts chapter 1. This is Ascension Sunday, which preceded Pentecost Sunday. He says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, when are you going to do the stuff that we want you to do? This is essentially what they're asking. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to give us back power? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Let me just pause here just for a moment, give you some pastoral uh, insight. If you're spending time trying to decode the Bible, looking for times and dates, it truly is a waste of your time. It really is. And I'm just saying that. I love the fact that you're studying Scripture. I love the fact that you love the end times. I love the end times. I love studying it. But I don't spend my time trying to decode times and dates. Jesus said, I don't even know the time or the date. So if Jesus doesn't know, the person you're listening to on the podcast doesn't know. He, you, he doesn't know. I'm just telling you, stop sending them money, stop buying the books. I'm just telling you, if Jesus doesn't know, they don't know. I don't care how many charts they pull out. They don't know. Because he says, nobody knows. The times are the days. He says, but let me tell you what I do want you to have. You will not receive times and dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say that word out loud, witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem. And notice the, the, the concentric circles of influence here. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying here is, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in the primary place that you're living. A lot of people right now are trying to change the world, but they've forgotten about their neighborhood. We're concerned about the world, but we don't know our neighbor that lives three houses down from us. We're concerned about global politics, but we forget about the widow who needs a meal delivered on Wednesday. And see, this is what Jesus was saying. Listen, when the Spirit comes upon you, your primary mission is the neighborhood, the place where you are living. Then, when you've accomplished that, I will increase your prestige. I'll give you more influence. If you'll take care of the primary, I'll give you secondary influence. That's the work of the Lord. He says, I want you to give up control and put me in charge. In other words, here's how we should pray. Father in heaven, 
We want you to establish the kingdom not for us, but would you establish the kingdom through us? Instead of asking him to establish the kingdom for our benefit, can we ask Jesus, Lord, would you establish the kingdom for your benefit through us? In other words, here's how you should pray. You're in charge and I'm here to cooperate. If you want to be a person of the Spirit, if you want to be considered a person of the powerful Holy Spirit, this is the first way to start praying. Father, you're in charge. You're in charge. I'm here to cooperate with the work of the Spirit that's happening all over the earth right now. You're in charge. Help me to cooperate. All right, here's the second thing he says. He says, you're in charge. And if that is true, <clears throat> if he's in charge, then you can do anything you want. Now let's talk about this word because God is omnipotent. I don't know if you know that you've ever heard that word. But here's a great definition. If he can do anything he wants, that means that God is omnipotent. Which means, there's two things, two parts of this definition that's important to know. He has the right to act, and he has the ability to act. Now that's important for you to distinguish between right and ability. And God's omnipotence actually gives him both powers. God has a right to intervene into our lives, and he has the, ab the ability to do it. So it's one thing to have the right to do it and have no power. It's one thing to have power to do it, but not have the right to do it. So he's saying, I have the right to act and the ability to act. If you believe that, your prayer life will greatly expand. Your, your prayers will go from timid and weak to bold and powerful. There's something expands in your mind when you believe that God has the right to act and the ability to act. In other words, the revelation of his absolute power changes us when we pray. Now, let me just give you an example. When I was a kid, I grew up in a very poor area of northwest Louisiana, just south of, of Shreveport on the Sabine River in a little town called Logansport. And when I grew up, I thought there were three flavors of ice cream. Do you know what three flavors? Vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. There were the only three options. And sometimes when my dad made a little extra money, he would bring this big giant tub home. How many of you remember this? And you opened up the plastic lid, and there under the lid were all three flavors in one tub. And it had a really fancy name, because I thought we were uptown when we brought this home. It was called Neapolitan. How many of you know that there's a Neapolitan flavor? All three. Now, a little quiz here. When you opened up the lid of Neapolitan ice cream, which flavor did you eat first? <laughs> Chocolate is the first flavor you eat first. If you said strawberry, I cannot be your friend. I love you. I will be your pastor. I will pray for your salvation. But if you eat strawberry first, there's something inherently wrong. <laughs> Strawberry's always the last. Every good person knows this. It's chocolate, then vanilla, and then maybe a scoop of the strawberry. So as a kid, that, that was as far as my ice cream universe expanded. I could not get any further than Neapolitan. Then we moved from a little town of about 1,000 people, less than 1,000 people, and we moved my third grade year to a town called Nacogdoches, Texas, in East Texas. My dad got a job there, and this is a town of 30,000 people. So it was like moving to the big city. 
I remember we went to an Assemblies of God church and across the street in 1978, they opened up a chain called Baskin and Robbins. And on the sign, it said 31 flavors. I, I could not believe my ice cream universe expanded by a thousand percent, 10 times more. I remember going in, you can do this, there's one across the street here, and I went over there just recently. You know, they still have the same pink plastic sample spoons. And they will actually give you, a, I don't know if they'll do this now with COVID, but they used to give you pink little sample spoons, and you could, uh, you could go through each one and actually taste 31 flavors. Listen, this is what happens when you begin to pray to an omnipotent God. Some of you have been living in a Neapolitan world. And the Lord is calling you to a basket and Robin's world. Somebody, somebody say that's a better world to live in. And when your mind, when you understand that God has the right to act and the ability to act, and Pastor Eddie just said this a moment ago, he doesn't need great faith. He just needs some faith. He needs a little bit of faith. The size of the grain of mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move into the sea, it'll be moved into the sea. This is when you begin to pray like that and you know how, you understand the God you're praying to, he is magnificent, which leads to the third thing that he says in this particular passage. You're in charge, you can do anything you want, and you're ablaze in beauty. Now why is that phrase important? Yours is the power, the glory, and the kingdom forever. Why, did, why does that particular passage mean anything to us? Because it reminds us that even when God is not acting or moving in a way that we think he should be acting and moving, the one verifiable fact that we know, according to our faith, is that Christ will return. And when he returns, we know of several things that are absolute truths. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Everyone will know that Jesus is Lord of all. We know that. And every injustice, everything that's broken on the earth will be fully restored. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Go to Luke 21 with me. Listen to this. Verse 25, Jesus is about to ascend. He's about to leave them. And he's already promised them the Holy Spirit. He's told them about the day of Pentecost. He says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And listen to verse 26. This is happening right now, right in front of us. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world. Now, I, I'm 54 years old, so some of you that might be older than me might remember a time that's, that's more fearful than this, but in my lifetime, I've never seen fear control human behavior the way fear is controlling human behavior right now. And the reason is, you know what, you know what causes fear? A fear and anger are close cousins. When you're afraid of something, you'll get mad at it. When something causes you to be angry, you'll be afraid of it. These, they work in tandem to control our emotions. This is why you need to be really careful about media that you're absorbing. If they're playing on your fears, if they're playing on your anger, you need to stop absorbing that kind of stuff. Look for facts, look for truth, but do not allow fear and anger to constantly bombard your media streams. It's not from God. And it'll do something to you that's not good. Listen, because men will faint from terror, apprehensive, 
of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So Jesus paints a picture that's pretty alarming. Sea and water and fire. I mean, things are, according to that, we have every reason to be afraid. Here's what Jesus said. At that time, in the middle of all of that, when you see those things happening, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. A blaze in beauty, in other words. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads. This is not a time to be angry or fearful. This is not a time to shrink back. This is a time for the body of Christ to worship their way through this, to lift our hands, to lift our voices, to be clear-eyed and alert, sober-minded and alert. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. New Life Church, Christ will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's why we confess that as a part of the Nicene Creed. That's why this particular part of the benediction is important when praying through the Lord's Prayer. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it will have no end. Let me remind you something about the return of Christ. The return of Christ is not a rescue mission. It's a coronation ceremony for a king. This is why we lift our hands. This is not some kind of rescue mission. It's the coronation of a king. The king returning to reclaim the land that's been soiled by the sins of man. He is coming to reclaim it. He's coming to redeem it. This is not about an evacuation of earth, but an invasion of heaven. And that changes the way we study the end times. Listen, if you're studying the end times right now and you're full of fear and dread, you're studying it wrong. When you're studying the end times, and I want you to be a student of eschatology. I want eschatology to be a part of your normal study. But when you're studying the return of Christ and the end of all things, it should fill you with inexpressible hope, not grief and fear. This is not about an evacuation. And let me remind you that the Bible begins with a story of a new creation. This is how the Bible starts. Perfect garden, perfect humanity. We're the ones that messed it up. And the Bible ends, though, with the story of a new creation restored. So read the first few pages of the Bible. Read the last pages of the Bible. You'll see all in between that the entire story of the Bible is God coming to redeem and restore and to bring back to health that which has been destroyed. The sin-ruined creation of Genesis is restored and the sacrifice-renewed creation of Revelation. That's why when you study the end times, it should make your head come up. That's why you should stand up, not shrink back. This is why when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we get to that final stanza, we can say, Father, you're in charge. You can do anything you want, and you are ablaze in beauty. His victory will be complete, and our redemption will be final. That is good news for all of us. Would you stand up with me this morning? Stand up with me as we pray. We're going to take a moment this morning on Pentecost Sunday. The only antidote for crippling fear is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe in therapy. I believe in community. I believe in all of those societal things that we can do to help people that are overcome by fear. But at the end of the day, you have to decide what you want to be filled with. And it, it, it's a long process for people that are crippled by stifling fear. It's a long process, but I have watched this over and over again. If you're here today, 
Maybe you've never prayed this prayer. Maybe you've never prayed to receive Christ as Savior. That's the first step. To pray with me, Father in heaven, I will, I'm no longer in charge. That is the salvation prayer in its essence. I'm not in charge anymore. Father in heaven, I'll let Jesus now be in charge of my life. And I want to invite you to pray that this morning. If you've never prayed that prayer, maybe you're watching online. If you've never prayed, Father in heaven, I give control of my life to Jesus. I've tried to be God and I'm terrible at it. But you are the one who has chosen me, who found me, who can save me. But when you pray that prayer, the next prayer that you should pray every single day thereafter is, Father in heaven, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Every single day, continually fill me with the Holy Spirit. The person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is ours if we will ask. So on Pentecost Sunday, maybe you've never prayed that prayer. Would you just turn your hands toward heaven if that's you? You don't have to do this, but if you're like me and you're hungry, you're thirsty for more, I've turned my hands like this because it's a physical way of demonstrating the condition of my heart. And I just turned my hands like this, say, Father, this is what my heart looks like. Wanting more, needing more, hoping for more, receiving all that you've given me. So come, Holy Spirit. On Pentecost Sunday, would you sweep across our church? Just as you did in the upper room where there was, you swept across the room and not one person left there unfilled and unchanged. Lord, I pray that every time we gather, that we would not leave here unfilled and unchanged. That we would leave fully, fully saturated by the work of the Spirit. So we invite you now to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. Remind us today of the sacrifice. Remind us today of your omnipotence. Remind us today that you're in charge. You can do anything you want. And you are ablaze in beauty. We're going to sing this song. And I want it to be more than just a words on the screen. I want it to be an anthem. I want you to prophesy this. I want you to proclaim this. I want you to pray it out loud as we sing it. As we prepare to come to the table, Lord, in just a moment, Pastor Eddie will come and lead us. Let's sing this song together. Let's welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives this morning.
Jesus is coming back, and that's good news. But did you know that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that every time when we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death, and then he says, until he comes. <laughs> I love that, that from today until the day that Jesus does come back, we're gonna proclaim the Lord's death by eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, because this is our reminder that when it seemed there was no way, Jesus made a way. And when it seemed like our sins could not be forgiven, Jesus forgave us. So go ahead and grab a hold of that piece of bread in your hands. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We eat together. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We drink together. And scripture also tells us that before they went out from the upper room, there as Jesus instituted the Last Supper, it says that they sang a song. And so I don't think we're quite done yet. I think we should sing a little bit more before we leave. And here's my challenge to you. I want you to sing a response to what God has done here today. I want you to find whatever 10 out of 10 is for you and let's bring that to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ is worthy of your response here. Okay, so find whatever that is. If you normally don't sing, 
It's time to sing. If you normally don't lift your hands, just lift your hands and praise to God. Find a shout of praise to Him because He's worthy of this, okay? All right, let's sing. Come on. something on your heart that needs prayer and, and you're something there's something you're carrying I want to invite you hey we'd love to pray with you we don't want you to leave this place without that getting prayed over so prayer team you guys can go ahead and come forward now and as we conclude the service if there's anything you need prayer for please just come forward we would love to pray with you and if you're a guest and uh, you know this is all still kind of new for you, we would love for you to exit. You know, through these doors, there's this area called Guest Central and there you can meet someone, get any questions answered, anything. We would just love to connect with you. That's the purpose of that space. So please, before you head out, make sure you do that as well. And then um, we have section community parties. They're back. So section 11 and section eight and nine, you guys, today's your day. <laughs> it's your party day. So please stick around. We would love uh, for you to just spend a few minutes building community, this is where our church becomes small because you get to spend and, and build relationships with people that you're sitting with in church. All right, well, before we head out, I just wanna invite you to open your hands in front of you. Let me just pray for us as we leave today. May you go today knowing that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And because the greater one is in you, who could ever come against you? 
May you go walking with the calm assurance, knowing that what God is doing is best. And go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, both now and always. Amen and amen. We'll see you next week.